Yo, this is the ancient Texan. <clears throat> well, the horse me. This morning I listened to a podcast, about half of it with my wife, and then the other half driving to a UUFN fellowship meeting. And the podcast I listened to was Liz and Ann, and I think it was their June episode on Broken Cup. And the general discussion was kind of between the two models of brutal honesty or kind honesty. I noticed in my notes I wrote kind dishonesty. Well, when listened to Liz talk of the fellowship it was a great great talk and i i think besides just saying it was a, a great talk and a great um sermon i think it it came from the fact that it's coming from a great person and i don't think a person until they, you know, evolve somewhere down the line of, you know, what I think is, is being a good and great person is able to give a great talk, you know, without paying, paying their dues and a lot of screw ups down the road. And I said to her after her sermon, which she delivered on Zoom, that I'm more of the school of wait until they ask me. And of course, that's the theory. That doesn't mean I pull that off very often. My background is, oh, I want to add one more little comment there. My previous comment, my previous podcast was Love Too Easy. And I shoot this first on a YouTube um, video, which is youtube.com slash ampersign ancient Texan with the A in the one word, ancient Texan, with the A and the T capitalized. And I'm trying to move over to just YouTube and not podcasts, but whatever. I have erratic audiences on both sides, so I'm afraid to, <laughs> to lose the few people that do listen to me. My previous podcast was Love Too Easy. Well, as soon as Liz started talking... I knew that she was one of those persons that I love just almost from the moment she opens her mouth. And I came home from the service. My wife has pneumonia and she was at home, Amy, and she just took it in stride that, yes, I feel like I love Liz because she knows me. You don't get great people come along every day to love, so... She's 
kind of knows ahead of time who I'm going to say I love. Now back to the topic at hand, being honest, kind honesty or brutal honesty. And we all know the general discussion. My background is I grew up as a fundamentalist in a fundamental religion. And what they teach you to do, and I mean, they should make a school out of it, formalize it is to be judgmental. I'm excellent at judging you. You will not find anybody more excellent. <laughs> and of course, I've intellectually moved on from that. But like the Catholic Church says, give me a child till he's six and I'll own him for life. Well, They've got this judgmental gene planted in me that's just like, it, it can't be ripped out without killing me. And it probably won't be ripped out till I'm dead. It may survive me. So, you know, whatever I say, realize that that flaw kind of exists in me and it affects my truth. I also have, as a job, I work in research and development, and still as an ancient Texan, I work, I've been work up in Canada for the last three years trying to get a magnesium plant started, a pilot plant. And as a scientist, I've learned to just like be mercilessly critical of myself and my biases when I'm looking at a process not jump the gun not be biased try to keep it open mind and pay attention to what's going on um, my wife always says about me that she she's always amazed at how I'm completely honest, completely honest, completely confident about my position on anything. I'm like 100% in, this is, this is the way it is. But then she noticed that someone gives me another little piece of evidence and I take a 180 degree turn and now I'm 100% confident again. And I have a new position and it's as if that previous position did not exist. So I, I explain that by saying, based on the evidence I have, and my confidence that my judgment is superior, uh, this is the way it has to be. I recognize all the contradictions in the way I just said that. So when I was listening to Liz talk about truth and honesty, and they did the, you know, does this dress make me look fat example. We all know that. Whether you deflect it, be brutally honest, 
find some, you know, cool way to leave a compliment like the dress makes you look beautiful or you look beautiful, whatever. Or the dress is horrible. We all know that conversation, those options. My point of view is that there really is no truth. There's certainly no absolute truth. There are things that you believe and there are stories that you hold and biases and based on those stories and biases um, you come up to, with what you think is the truth. Now all stories it turns out are incomplete and they're all biased. So if your truth is based on the story that you're telling yourself of what the circumstance is, what you know about that person, uh, what you know about yourself, what you're in your infinite wisdom, you know the right answer and thing to do. But you also recognize that all stories are incomplete and biased, then it should give you a little bit of pause before you insist on telling your truth to someone when it's going to hurt them. Doesn't mean you might make the judgment that that's, you know, for the greater good and the world's going to come out better. But a little humility in recognizing that the story that we hold and the truths attached to those stories um, may not be quite right, may be incomplete and biased, might give you a little pause. I've also learned that, you know, the audience has to be ready to hear the answer and the truth. And that by speaking it, it doesn't necessarily move them closer to a greater understanding about themselves or the situation. It may actually push them away from that. So there's a lot of value in just sitting back and listening to them. And my wife's great about this. She asks questions that let them find the answer. And she has great patience. Um, she'll do this with her son that lives with us. And she's willing to let these questions roll out. And the answers appear over the term of years. You know, I give someone five minutes on a generous day to know the answer. And I don't quite know how to relate this in, you know, being an engineer, I have my limitations. But I'm in R&D meetings where we're discussing, you know, what happened. I've been in, you know, large chemical plants. Uh, and I've been the lead in a lot of those where I'm the, supposed to be the person with all the answers. 
But R&D meetings, you might be surprised to find out, are often very political. I listen to Elon Musk talk a lot. Very smart dude. Very revolutionary. But he's also very political. Um, I would be fired working for him somewhere in the first 10 minutes. Unless we had some clear guidelines set up before we started. I'm good at understanding complex chemical systems. Um, I've been doing it for 55 years, so part of it is, you know, anybody would be smart after 55 years. You know, I'm, I'm right on that, that gray zone of where I'm starting to lose my wit and logic brain. I'm starting to be an old dude. Uh, and yet I have this big pile of experience and that balance of <laughs> slowly losing it. And at the same time, you have all these this information. I generally know what's going to happen in a chemical plant. And especially after that plant's been turned on two or three times. Uh, and I've watched it run and we've collected data and I've seen it form and reveal itself. A plant has a certain character and a certain way of performing in each individual step. How it performs affects the next step and the recycle streams that come around affect that. And you can watch it and understand it. I was once in a in a meeting with a big C CEO that was kind of very, you know, hard school here runs a company he's the boss and he is telling us about this new venture we're doing and how it's going and how great it is and somehow I got put on the spot and asked what my opinion was about this thing and I said that the plant wasn't going to work as it is currently configured. Right after we had this big presentation by our chief executive officer telling us how wonderful it is and state-of-the-art and blah, blah, blah. A guy in the audience who's still a good friend of mine, David Noble, still thinks of me as the brave Texan that stood up to power and said back to that power what other people were thinking but weren't brave enough to say. And he wondered how I was brave enough to stand up to him. And I said, I really didn't think of it that way. I said my allegiance wasn't to him or to anybody when I'm in a chemical plant. My allegiance is to Mother Nature, to the chemistry and the thermodynamics and the beauty of the system and nature as it is. And my allegiance 
was to the truth of, of Mother Nature as best as I could find it. Um, the early young me would have been up on the table saying, this is the way it is. And I probably would have been right because I've, I've been good at this a long time. And then when it we turned it on and the plant ran like I said it was going to and had the problems I said it's going to have. And then I would have been up on the table after the meeting saying, I told you so. Well, <laughs> as you can imagine, I found out this was not a way to, to you know, build friends and uh, persuade your enemies. It's kind of like, you know, the Republican, Democrat discussions or any political one. You know, we like to believe that we can put together the perfect argument and persuade somebody. But it turns out it's more about the human connections we make with that person and listening to them that allows them someday in the future to actually ask our opinion and listen to us. And until then, you're kind of on a journey of just watching the person fold fold out and details happening like we're fixing to turn this pilot plant back on in January I already know it's not going to work and I've written some reports and tried to explain it but we've got so much vested in it and a lot of the mistakes sitting there are my mistakes is in fact, there's probably more of my mistakes in that pilot plant than anyone else's. Not all of them. I won't take credit for all of them. But I say enough that people know that I have concerns and put it out there on the table. It's, it's like I throw a lure in the water and kind of pull it back. But until that fish, till that person strikes that lure, they're probably not ready for what you need to tell them. So when we turn that plant on, I, I know where our problems in, and when it, you know, falls on its face. There'll be great discussions for many days about what needs to be done and at some point it'll become my job and my responsibility to speak up and say and maybe pull up a picture from some of my previous reports and say I believe this is the heart of the problem and if we want this plant to work we have to go back into engineering and this is a new thing we have to engineer and yes it's going to take us six months before we can turn it on again or we can turn it on again tomorrow with some little change you want to make but that's not going to get us there and I've kind of been saying that for six months but at some point the pain of it not working will either be enough that we do it or 
there's another option we can just call it defeat although our top guns are already calling it uh, success kind of like a <laughs> trump he can miserably fail at something and then he declares it to be success like the last uh, elections so that's kind of a complicated way of you know speaking truth with kindness or speaking truth brutally or I would say speaking the truth bravely there comes a moment in time to be brave and to say what needs to be said But we seldom get to that because there's also a time to just listen with kindness and not say anything. And maybe if you're wise, like my wife, ask a few questions that moves the subject along and to be patient with things unfolding in the fullness of time. But this, you know, being honest with kindness or honest with brutally honest is a is a complicated subject with a lot of nuances my kids want me to be uh, something that I'm not quite. My youngest one um, thinks I'm a great dad and she aspires for me to be a perfect great dad. And if I say something a little sarcastic or with a little bit of anger on a podcast or in a discussion, she comes to me and tells me that she's disappointed that she expects more from me. I can live with that. It's sometimes a little too high a bar. My older daughter has an idea of what I should be and has very disappointed me when I'm not But it's not always clear to me that I have the freedom with her to disagree with her opinion of what is right. And there's a lot of sides of me that uh, she doesn't like. I did, I did a podcast recently on gender dysphoria, which I listened to a uh, hour talk from a lady that just wrote a book on that. And her arguments made sense to me, and I kind of like doing a book report, kind of laid out what this lady believes on how to handle gender dysphoria. And I'm not one that's, you know, woke, and that's likely to go along with what the vast majority of people think on either side. 
I'm just just not. And so I expressed myself, and then she was one of my podcast commentators that the one that was posted on Facebook. Um, was really pretty aggressive. Now, I find it fairly easy to stand up to a CEO, which I later, I didn't get fired directly on that event, but I got fired down the road. It's kind of the curse of being too honest in R&D and right. Although if you're right, you can be honest and survive much longer. But if you really want to survive, honesty is not the best policy. But it's... Each of us need to find this way of, of dealing with, with others and our honesty that's actually part of the same conversation that you're having with yourself about where your honesty and your truth is and your purpose and your meaning. And the better you're able to handle that inside yourself, the better you know and are able to know when to listen and when to talk and to be okay with waiting and to be okay with letting other people think something about you that maybe is not true. It's okay. It's not your job. And when I get really old and wise, I'll be able to do that and be able to extract a little bit, little bit of my judgmental genes out of my biased uh, viewing of the story in front of me. Wow, that was a messed up sentence. Anyway, I think I've got to the stage of this podcast where I'm rambling. So I think I'm going to have a, a cheese crisp and publish this podcast as it sits. Anyway, this is the ancient Texan with his version of the truth and speaking truth kindly. Hope you have a good one. Namaste.